All right, we're in chapter 22, and you see I entitled this chapter, The Lord Will Provide, and that is a direct quote of what Abraham says when his son asks him about the sacrifice. Where is the sacrifice? Where is the, the lamb? Where, where is, we, I know we're going to worship, so where is it? And so in his innocence, Isaac did not know that he was to be the sacrifice. So as we looked last week at uh, verse 1 and 2, we observed that this, this is a test. Uh, God has said to Abraham, take the son of promise, Isaac, the one through whom I will bless the world, and take him to a place called Moriah, and there I want you to offer him as a sacrifice to me. Those are stunning words, and I'm thankful that in the first verse it says, sometime later God tested Abraham. I don't know if, if I could stand to read this if it were my first time. I don't know if I could stand to read it if I didn't know that this was a test of Abraham's resolve and his faith. So God says to him, take your son, take him to Moriah, and offer him in worship as a sacrifice. There are, you probably can tell I've got allergies, so bear with me. It happens every year between Labor Day and Thanksgiving without fail. It's a good year when it doesn't hit me until November. It's a bad year when it comes to September. <clears throat> and guess what? We are in September. So it's the way it is. It'll be better by next week. Now, there are three simple, unqualified imperatives in verse 2. Take, take your son, go, go with your son, and sacrifice him. Those are the three unqualified imperatives that God is giving to Abraham. He is very well, uh, he's very familiar with human sacrifice. Because he's surrounded by pagans who practice it regularly. It may be difficult for us to imagine what that would have been like. But then I don't think it really is that difficult, is it? In the kind of world that we live in. Um, the Canaanites would regularly make sacrifices of their children to their gods in order to appease those gods, to make them happy, and to bless them. Uh, it's beyond our imagination that people would do that, and yet today you can travel to parts of the world and see the archaeological remains of the altars upon which humans were sacrificed. Um, some of you have been with me to Israel, <clears throat> you know that at Megiddo, Armageddon, uh, there are the remains of an ancient Canaanite altar. It's very large. If you remember, it's circular, made of stones, very, very large. And it's, it's a little bit of a strange feeling to know that you're standing there looking at a place where the Canaanites all offered their own children up to their gods to appease them. And so Abraham's very familiar with human sacrifice. He just never expected to be asked to do it himself. Now the scripture here probably doesn't tell us everything in our curiosity that we would like to know. It tells us what we need to know. 
And what we see is the amazing, immediate obedience of Abraham to the Word of God. What went through his mind? God, you promised to bless the world through my son, Isaac. And now you're asking me to offer him as a sacrifice. So Abraham's human, just like you and I, and you can only imagine the things that went through his mind. And yet, the amazing part of this as we come to verse 3, which is where we're going to pick up today, is Abraham's obedience and his immediate obedience. There's no debate. There's no trying to talk God out of what he has said. Abraham simply obeys God. And so we can try to picture the feelings of Abraham when he drew that knife back to slay his son. Uh, You can imagine the feelings. Those of you who are fathers and mothers can imagine the feeling that one would have in doing that. But we know that Abraham had an incredible faith. And we're going to read about that faith as we proceed through the chapter. Now, where where did he send him? Where is he going to do this? Moriah, it's a two, three-day journey from where he lived. Uh, Where is Moriah? Do you remember? Jerusalem. What was built on Mount Moriah in Jerusalem? The temple. And uh, you can go there today, and that's, the, I mean, you wouldn't think of going to Israel as a tourist without going to Moriah, to the Temple Mount. So that's where all this took place. And as you know, that's a revered spot for three major religions. Judaism, the Temple Mount was there, Christianity, and of course, Islam. Why is it important to Islam? Well, because they say that when Muhammad went to heaven, he went on a horse, and the horse took off from Mount Moriah. In fact, if you were allowed to go inside the mosque that's up there, you'd see a hoof print in the, in the stone. It's not really a hoof print, but it looks like a hoof print. And they say, that's it, that's where the horse took off, from right there. That's a fanciful story. Uh, that was a Johnny-come-lately invention for one reason. Islam said we've got to stake our claim to Jerusalem. And that's how we're going to do it. Muhammad took off from here. So it's a revered place for three major religions of the world. And that's where Abraham took Isaac to offer him. Now let's look at his obedience Amazing story, verse 3. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. Now here's the key. What does he say next? We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Here's the faith of Abraham. We will come back to you. Abraham believed that if he sacrificed his son, God would raise his son from the dead. So that the promise he had made to Abraham would be fulfilled. That the world would be blessed through this child. 
That is an incredible faith. And Abraham had that faith in God. Not only is he going to take a knife and slay his child, cut his throat, but what is he then going to do? He's going to burn his body because that would have been the offering of the sacrifice to God. So God, Abraham believed, will raise up this charred body back to life again. Now let me ask you a question. Have up to this point in time, had there been any resurrections from the dead recorded in Scripture? No. None at all. So Abraham believed something that had never, ever happened in the history of the world. He believed God would do it to keep the promise that he had made to Abraham. It's an amazing, amazing faith that he had. Okay, three days journey, leaves the servants, leaves the donkey. In verse 5, expresses the fact that he believed he would return with Isaac, uh, his son. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Let me go ahead and read through verse 10 before I talk about these verses anymore. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac and he himself carried the fire in a pot carried the fire and the knife as the two of them went on together Isaac spoke up and said to his father to said to his father Abraham now, now watch these words of, Abraham, of Isaac father it's a term of endearment the response of Abraham is also a term of endearment yes my son that's what can, that's a tender moment. Father to son, son to father. Isaac says the wood and the fire and the wood are here, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide. Now here's where I got the, the, the title for the outline. God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. So we'll stop there. Um, it's a stunning moment. So Abraham believes that if he slays his son in obedience to God... That God will raise him up from the dead. Raise that boy up from the dead. Hebrew, here, here's Hebrews 11, 17. Here's where we know for sure that's what Abraham was thinking. You go to the New Testament. Hebrews eleven seventeen. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Though he did not slay Isaac, he was prepared to do so. And the knife was back in a position to do the deed. Abraham believed in resurrection even though... None had ever happened in history up to that point. 
John, in the Gospel of John, in the 8th chapter, verse 56, Jesus said to the Jewish people, Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. God gave Abraham a vision of the future, and he saw the day of the Messiah and rejoiced in it. Amazing. Now, so Abraham responds immediately. Takes Isaac. Takes him to the place of sacrifice. They climb Moriah. Leaving the donkey and the two servants behind. He laid the wood on the back of his by now teenage son. And we have a picture that comes immediately to our minds. Here is the son carrying the wood on his back about to be sacrificed. Does that remind you of somebody else? Jesus, near to this, near to this same place, would carry the wooden cross to Calvary where he would be sacrificed for your sin and for mine. Remember, Abraham at this point is about 115 years old. And his son is, is much obviously much younger, about probably 15 years old. They appear to be walking in silence simply because no exchange of words is recorded. Maybe they were talking about other things. I don't know. But the silence is broken by Isaac who asks about the lamb of sacrifice. Young boy looking and thinking, you know what, we remembered the fire and we remembered the wood. Daddy's got a knife, but we forgot to get a lamb. And how did we get this far without a lamb? So he's thinking in, 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 in unsuspecting and total trust. He asks his dad, Where, where's the lamb? And Abraham says, the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. So what does that say to us? Abraham, according to Hebrews, believes... That if he sacrifices his son, God will raise him from the dead. And perhaps when he says the Lord will provide, he has in mind, maybe, 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 God will stop this and provide a lamb for me to sacrifice. And that is exactly what he did. There is a submissive spirit on the part of Abraham before God and a submissive spirit on the part of his son, Isaac, to his father. The words, my father and my son, emphasize, the Hebrew words emphasize tender and mutual affection. Tender and mutual affection. If you had a, I hope you had the kind of relationship with your father, and not everybody does, but I hope you had the kind of relationship with your earthly father where there, maybe there was a tender term that you used to speak to your to your father or a tender turn that he used to speak to you. Maybe your dad called you by a nickname that was a, something tender to him. Instead of using your formal real name, he would call you by a nickname. Or perhaps you would say of him, daddy or papa or something that to you was a term of endearment. And that's what we see in the exchange of, of conversation here between Isaac and, and Abraham. What happens here foreshadows what we read about in Isaiah 53, the great uh, 
prophetic chapter that speaks of the, of the cross. In chapter 53, verse 7, Isaiah 53, He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. It's a picture we get here with Abraham, with Isaac. Now, we find in the last two verses that I've read uh, the, the, the ultimate obedience. Here's the ultimate obedience. You see Isaac's trust, Isaac's submission as his father binds him up. I, I want you to think about this. Abraham's 115. I'm just proud that he could walk up Moriah. His son is a teenager. His son can run a lot faster than Abraham. Isaac could have run away. Or he might have even been stronger than the old man at this point and might have been able to overpower him. But he didn't run and he didn't fight. He trusted his father and allowed his dad to time up and place him on the altar. I would contend that Isaac's faith was also a great faith, just like his dad's was. What was going through his mind, I can only imagine. But it is an incredible act of obedience on both the part of Abraham and Isaac. No attempt to escape on the part of Isaac but perhaps indicating to us that like his father, Isaac believes God will take care of this for his glory. Not knowing what way he would choose to do it, but believing in his heart that God would do it. God will intervene, Abraham believed, even if it means raising the charred body of my son Isaac back to life. So they are both showing faith in the promise of God. Now, when we get to verse 11, much to our incredible joy, there is a divine response to what Abraham is doing. So let's look at verse 11. But, you know, I love those conjunctions that come in the scripture every once in a while. Um, the wages of sin is death, but... The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Here's another one of those conjunctions. The knife. Abraham's taken the knife to slay his son, but... Thank you, Lord. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven. Abraham. Abraham. Here I am, he replied. What do you think's going through his mind? Oh, thank you, thank you. I mean, he hadn't even let the angel finish what he's going to say yet, but Abraham just knows. He just knows. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Now, I want us to remember, as we think about Abraham and Isaac, that God himself gave his only son to die on the cross for us. And there was no last minute voice from heaven that said, stop, don't sacrifice my son. But God allowed it to go to fruition 
when God could have called down, or Jesus could have called down 10,000 angels, as the song goes, to stop it. He didn't. You know, I've said this before, as I read the the text of the crucifixion and the taunting and the torture and the horrible things that Jesus said, I've often thought a few times, in my sinful humanity, this thought isn't from God, it's from the flesh, how delicious it would have been for Jesus to look, look around from the cross and say, that's enough, and to pull his hands off the cross and to jump down and to slay them all. Humanly speaking, vengeful nature, that would have been a delicious moment for Jesus to do that to the people who tortured him. Never entered his mind. That was his purpose for coming, was to die on the cross for your sin and for mine. Well, back to Genesis. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. Remember what Abraham said? The Lord will provide. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, That because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Stop there. Here's the divine intervention. The welcome voice of God speaking through the angel, Abraham's heart must have soared like an eagle when he heard the voice of the angel speaking. And then there is a divine provision as the ram is caught in what what uh, you see the providence of God in the sovereignty of God in arranging for all this. I mean what are the odds that there just would have happened to be a ram caught in the thicket at that very moment? On Moriah. Well, it's because God will provide, had arranged it from eternity past that this would happen. The God who tests is also the God who provides. It's well for us to remember that. You know what the Hebrew name is? The Lord will provide. Jehovah Jireh. You've heard that before. Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. And then, of course, once again, the divine oath, the promise of God to Abraham, I'm going to bless the world through your seed, through your son Isaac. Now, in Hebrews chapter 6, I love that Hebrews gives us so much light on Old Testament Scripture. In in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13 When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. It's been a long wait, hasn't it? And now it looked like in one moment, what's God doing? 
Abraham said, God will provide. I will be obedient. So remember this. God always keeps his word. God always keeps his word. What he has written, he will do. And he did it with Abraham and with Isaac. Now if you look at verse 20 of chapter 6, this looks like a little addendum thrown in. And you may say, what is this here for? Well, when we get to chapter 24, we'll have this story told again and we'll find out what the here is for. Sometime later, Abraham was told, Milcah is also a mother. She has born sons to your brother Nahor. Uz, the firstborn, Buzz, his brother. Okay, that's, that's exactly what it says. Kimuel, the father of Aram, Kesed, Hazo, Pildash, Jidlaf, and Bethuel. Bethuel. Bethuel became the father of Rebekah. Aha. Now we know why this text is here. Milcah bore these eight sons to Abraham's brother Nahor. His concubine, whose name was Rumah, also had sons, Teba, Geham, Tahash, and Makah. All right, our focus is going to shift very soon to Rebekah. But before that, we find with sadness in the 23rd chapter that Sarah goes home to be with God. Sarah dies. So we have just enough time to get started in chapter 23. We'll read about the passing of Sarah and what Abraham does when she dies. And then next week, Isaac and Rebekah. All right. Sarah lived to be 127 years old. She died at Kiryat Arba, that is Hebron. Now, in Texas, we say Hebron, but the Hebrews say Hebron, still a thriving city in Israel today. Hebron, in the land of Canaan, and Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. Um, I refer to a couple of passages, uh, Isaiah chapter 51. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness and who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were cut and to the quarry from which you were hewn. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who gave you birth. When I called him, he was only one man, and I blessed him and made him many through Sarah. Then back to Hebrews again, one more time today. Hebrews 11, 11, and by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. God made the promise and he kept his word. Abraham mourns in the second verse. And that word is a word of deep, heartfelt mourning. It's not just a perfunctory word. It means Abraham was, was sobbing and, and feeling everything that a husband would feel from the loss of one he had been married to for over 100 years. 
Uh, it's, it's a real and demonstrative morning. I think that the, the demonstrative is tied up in the word. In other words, you would not have just seen him sitting in the corner with a vacant look. He was demonstratively mourning by her body. And the death of a loved one should cause all of us to think about the eternal. Always an opportunity to think about the eternal. Sarah died in, he in Hebron, geographically, in the very heart of the, of the promised land. Abraham and Sarah believed God's promise of the land. And there was no doubt in Abraham's mind that the land will go to his descendants. He weeps, but with a great resolve in his heart which we will see as we read next time, verses 3 through 16. Abraham very carefully picks the exact place where he wants Sarah to be buried. Even though right now he lives among Canaanites and Hittites and foreigners of all types, Abraham knows this land is going to be ours so I am not hesitant at all to bury my wife here, knowing that this will be a land that someday belongs to us. And so he is now going to deal with the people who live there in order to bring this to pass so that he can have a place to bury his wife. And it is a place in Hebron called Machpelah, a cave, the cave of Machpelah. Now, just to give you a look ahead, you already know this. Abraham will be buried there along with Sarah. Who else will be buried there? Isaac and Rebekah. Who else will be buried there? Jacob and Leah. What about Rachel, Jacob's other wife? She will be buried in Bethlehem. Okay? But all the others, the patriarchs, will be buried in the cave of Machpelah. And... You can go today and see the place where the cave of Machpelah is located. Now, it is now surrounded, as you might guess, by a mosque because it's in Palestinian territory. But it's a mosque that was built in 1180-something by, um, oh, why am I forgetting his name? starts with an S. Saladin? Does that sound right? I'll have it next time. I think that's right. 1100 something. Fascinating what happens here. We're going to read all about it next time. How does, what does Abraham do to get that cave? I mean, the Hittites aren't exactly uh, cozying up to Abraham. Uh, so what, what's, what is he going to do? Well, we'll find out next time wise. You'll see the wisdom of Abraham in conducting business. He does a business transaction with pagans that he knew you couldn't trust any farther than you could throw a stone. But he's going to handle this in such a way that there can be absolutely no discrepancies and there never have been ever since that day. So we'll see all that next time. Okay, well, verse 3 Next week, thank you for being here. Father, thank you. Bless us. We are amazed at the faith of Abraham and of Isaac. And I pray that we will have a powerful faith like they do, like they did. And our faith is in Jesus and Jesus alone. We love you and adore you. In Christ's name I pray.
Amen. See you next week.